Amen, amen. Well, grab a seat, grab a seat. Worship was powerful, powerful this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, team, for leading us so well into the presence of the Lord. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and, uh, and just so you know, we're going to be studying the book of Acts uh, for most of this semester, the fall. Uh, we'll take a little bit of break uh, around uh, Christmas time. We'll do an Advent series, and then we'll jump back again into Acts on, in, the, in the spring. So we're going to cover the entire book basically a chapter at a time. So if you want to know what to read during the week to be ready for the next week, uh, we're going to be going through literally a chapter at a time through the book of Acts. So during the week, you can read Acts chapter 3 for next week or reflect on Acts chapter 2, but we're going to read from the Word of God, speak from the Word of God, learn about the power and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and it will be amazing this morning. Are y'all ready? Praise God. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, uh, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own language? Jump over to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was impossible, it was not possible for them to be held by it. Jump all the way down to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have given us the space to, to worship you, to sing songs to you, talking about your glory and your grace and the forgiveness that you give us through the power of your death, Jesus, and your resurrection from the dead. And Lord, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that, that began fully in the church at the day of Pentecost. Thank you for that. So Lord, I pray that as we study your work um, in the early church, that your work would continue through this church, that we would be filled with the power of the Spirit as you promised, and that we would minister your word to this place. And by your grace, day by day, we might add together those who are changed by the work of the Spirit and those who are being saved. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, when I was a kid, uh, we played kickball on my block, okay? And I lived on a little cold sack in the first house that I lived in, and, uh, and so there was in the center of the cold sack a, uh, a little area that was of grass and like two trees uh, that kind of served as a roundabout, which also served as the kickball second base, right? And so we would play kickball there, and, and the kid would just kind of roll the ball and then kick it and then kind of run the bases, and so classic kickball in the street. Everyone said, you know, when a car came, car, and then everyone walked away, and so that was, that was kind of the standard thing growing up. Um, but every, uh, every now and then there'd be like some little kids that would join us because we were so big and mature as like, I don't know, third graders. And so every now and then like some little kids would join us. And I remember one time there was this one little, little kid who, who came up and, and, uh, and he, was, he was not bigger than everyone. He was not, didn't look more powerful than everyone. But then I remember one point in time that some of his friends just started like chanting for him. They're like, hey, unleash the beast, unleash the beast. And I'm like, I'm like, what are y'all saying? And it's like this little kid, and, and, and you saw him, and they're like, come on, unleash the beast, unleash the beast. And they're like cheering him on. And, and suddenly, like, they roll the ball, and he runs and kicks it, like, over those trees, over that whole section. And then he just, which was a home run, like, in our little world. And then he just kind of, kind of trotted his thing around. And I was like, what just happened? And they're like, dude, when that kid gets going, there's something unleashed. And it's like a power you've never seen. And I was like, that is impressive, young man. And the reason I tell you that little story is, uh, one, you need to know about my childhood. Two, uh, is this. Um, there is a power that is released into the world that, has, that the world had not seen in this way until this point. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is released into the world and it is, a, it is a powerful force in the world. But let me tell you about this powerful force. It's not just a force of nature. It is a person of God. It is not an impersonal force. It is the third person of the Trinity that has come into the world in a unique way in this time. And so we're gonna talk about the work of the Holy Spirit that was released into the world. And let me tell you about the work of God that has happened through, through Jesus and through the church in this early part of Acts. There's a promise of the coming Holy Spirit. And, and here's the, the sequence of events. Jesus died. He was buried. But the grave couldn't hold him. He, he was released from the grave. He became alive. He was resurrected from the dead. And that was like an earthquake that hit in a deep place. It was like an earthquake sending a tsunami of waves forward. And that earthquake hit, and 40 days later, over a period of 40 days, he's appearing to the, his disciples. They're like, what is going on? What's happening? And, said, and Jesus says, look, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're going to be part of this great mission that I'm leading you on. And the Acts, the book of Acts, could be called the Acts of the Apostles or the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because you see the Holy Spirit empowering these men to bring the gospel forward. And, and what had not happened yet was the Holy Spirit released in the unique way that we see in this time period. It's absolutely fascinating to study. But the Word of God, through the people of God, through the power of the Spirit, has a tremendous impact I don't know if you know who, how tsunamis work, but they often start with an earthquake in the ocean floor. 
Back in 2004 in the Indian Ocean, there was an earthquake unlike any other previously. It was a, it was a 9.1 to 9.3 on the Richter scale. And when it was released, it sent a powerful earthquake that was said to like the energy released in 23,000 Hiroshima-type atomic bombs. It was sent a 100-foot-high wave across, speeding across the Indian Ocean, 100-foot-high waves that would go and crash against the Indian Ocean and flooded much of the land in that place. The movement of God through the Holy Spirit is much like that tsunami. The earthquake was the moment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the world has been dramatically impacted by the flood of the work of God's people through, empowered by the Spirit of God over the earth. In fact, the world has been so dramatically changed by the people that were changed by the Spirit. We are here today because of the work of these few men that were dramatically changed by the Spirit of God. Christianity, as of 2015... It's estimated there's 2.3 billion Christians today. Just think about that. There was a small group of men and women that are in the upper room at the beginning of Acts. And that tidal wave flood comes all the way today. 2.3 billion Christians across the world today. We are dramatically impacted by the work of the power of the Spirit. And the book of Acts lays out like this. It starts in Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to focus right here. Then it moves to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's the outline of the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And we're going to see the Spirit start to work here in Jerusalem. And this morning, I just want to answer two big questions for us. The first is this, who is the Spirit? And secondly, how do I recognize His work? First of all, who is the Spirit? And secondly, how do I recognize His Work Well, who is the Spirit? So I just want you to put on uh, your learning cap for a little bit. This is going to be a little bit of a, of a teaching moment. But it's really, really important because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about who the Spirit is. And, and even when, when, I, when I talk about the Spirit, I, 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 I use the word force. But, but, but in our culture, there becomes a, a misunderstanding because we assume, in some context, that the Spirit is a force, like a, like a Jedi force, like that thing that exists and may the force be with you. And it's this impersonal power that kind of exists in all of the world or the universe. But that's actually not how the Bible describes it. The Bible describes the Spirit as a person, literally the third person of the Trinity. It is co-equal, co-eternal with God. It always existed. He always existed. And in fact, when the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, it always uses male personal pronouns. He, him, and that's even how Jesus talks about the Spirit that we're going to see. So the first is this, that the Spirit eternally existed. Genesis 1-2 says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. We see the Spirit there at the beginning of creation. The Spirit of God over the earth. So before anything was made, we see the Spirit in presence and power there. And then we see the Spirit begin working through the Old Testament. Um, oftentimes in the Old Testament, it would empower people for certain acts for a certain period of time. So you see it in the book of Judges, for example, in Judges 6.34. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, a, a judge, and he blew a trumpet summoning um, and they followed him. And so you, what you see at certain moments in the Bible is that the Spirit would come upon someone to empower them for a specific work. You also see that uh, the Spirit would do that for the kings. 
In 1 Samuel 16, it says that uh, Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And so you see the Spirit, particularly at particular points in time, empowering um, people that God was using for a specific purpose. The New Testament actually even sheds further light on it. The Holy Spirit actually worked through the prophets of old who, who spoke and wrote um, much of the Old Testament. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1.20. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, none of the writings that we have of the Old Testament, came about from the prophet's own interpretation. None of those prophets were just coming up with ideas in a vacuum. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit worked in, 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 in creation. It worked to empower people for specific works and tasks in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit also uh, gave men the words to write down of the Old Testament that we have recorded today. And so these words weren't made up. These were the Spirit guiding people throughout all of the Old Testament. But there's an expectation for the Spirit to come in a new way in New Testament times. And Jesus spoke about this. Jesus, in John chapter 16, as he's preparing his men for when he is going to go to the cross, he tells them this about the Spirit. He says in John chapter 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, notice the personal pronoun, him to you. And when he, personal pronoun, he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he does not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare things to you that are to come. He says the Holy Spirit is gonna work in a new way in your life and you've gotta get ready for him to come. And you gotta think of the early disciples. They're like, it's not gonna be better if you leave. It's gonna be better if you stay. And Jesus says, no, no, the Holy Spirit is gonna come. And he is going to empower you on this next phase of the mission. And you've got to be ready for him to come. And in Acts chapter 2, Jesus' promise becomes fulfilled. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit come to the disciples. In Acts chapter 1, he tells them to wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit arrive and empower these people to bring the gospel what will ultimately come to the world. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided his tongues and appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as they were given utterance. You see at this moment, the birthday of the New Testament church. We see this is the first moment when they come with the Holy Spirit and they're given power. And, and, and this is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th. Penta 
You know that, that word, it means the 50th day, and it's the Feast of Weeks for the Jews. Now, the Jews had come from all over the region to Jerusalem to celebrate this. It was the Feast of Harvest from the Old Testament, and it usually fell in late May or early June. And so Jews from all over the region had come to Jerusalem, and they were celebrating Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. But Luke is showing something else here in this moment. Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he's showing us that the mission of the church and the ministry of Jesus was dependent on the coming Holy Spirit. And this is, this is huge. For us to be ministers of the gospel in this world, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that they come and they were all together in one place. So, so it probably started in a house. There's debate among scholars about how all of these details played out. But it probably started in, in a house and probably extended over into the temple courts. That's, that's, that's probably how it, it played out. There's lots of debate on that. But it seems that that might have been what happened. That it started in a house and then moved out to the temple courts. And as they're sitting there, suddenly from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on each one of them. Now think about this noise as they're sitting in this house. There's a noise, and don't think like a like a like a like someone blowing in your ear, like a, like something you know like that. Think like a mighty rushing wind. Think like a Boeing 747 taking off. Like think of something loud and 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 would just shake you, would shock you awake. And it says that there was fire coming down, like tongues of fire. Almost, I picture like from the ceiling, like but tongues of fire coming from the heavens on each one of them. And so, what is that symbol of fire? Well, well, God often revealed Himself in fire to Moses at the burning bush. The bush was on fire and 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 it wouldn't get burned up. And Moses was like, surely the Lord is here in this place. And, and you see, when God is leading the nation out of captivity in Egypt, he led them by a pillar of fire by day and a cloud, or cloud by day and fire by night, that, that brightness. And so there's, when they talk about God, there's, there's, a, there's a glory there. There's a, a powerful lightness there. And there's, there's to, it's like tongues of fire coming upon each person. And there's an effect that it has in this moment. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is, this is nuts. They start speaking what's clear is other dialects. That word tongue gets kind of confused in our, in our translation. It just means language. That's what it means. They start speaking different languages or dialects of people in this moment, and they start telling them. Now, verse 5 says, Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound of this, I mean, just think of this, this loud sound. At the sound of this, they come out, and they were bewildered. Why were they bewildered? Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language, verse 6. So they're, they're confused. They're, they're hearing each person speak in their own language. And this says, verse 7, now they were astonished at this because they said, aren't these men speaking Galileans? And here's what that means. The, 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 most of the disciples, they were from the Sea of Galilee, which was in the northern part of the nation of Israel. And when you're from that northern part of the nation, you had an accent just like if you're from the Northeast, you have a particular accent. As well, if you're from the South, you've got a particular accent. And so they start hearing these people speaking the gospel in their own language, but they've, 
they've lost their accent. And they ask the question, aren't these men Galileans? And it's meant to be a slam. Um, I'll just make fun of us in the South. It's like those of us with a, with a long Texas drawl, right? Now, if you're from a long Texas, uh, if you have a long Texas drawl, you're from like East Texas or the South or here in Tomball, right? You got a long Texas drawl. And then you try to start speaking Spanish. How does your Spanish accent typically come out? Hola, que tal? Like that's, that's what it sounds like when you start speaking another language, when you have a particular accent, right? And, and everyone's that way. Like no matter what country you're from, you have a particular accent when it comes to it. And what they're saying is, aren't these men Galileans? Like aren't they from Backwoods, Texas? Like aren't they from there? Like how are they speaking without that accent in my dialect? How am I hearing them clearly in this moment? And they, they say to him, what does this mean, verse 12? They're from all these different regions hearing the gospel in their own languages. What does this mean? What does it mean? See, there's something that God is showing here in this moment. He's showing that the gospel is for everyone. There's no limited group that the gospel's for. There's no particular people that are the insiders and everyone else is an outsider. There's something dramatic happening here. And here's what, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis to really grasp this. See, in Genesis, you see God creating all of humanity. And there's something that God told Adam to do specifically. He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And why? Because he wants the image of God to be spread all across the world. He wants the image of God to go all across the world so people would go all across the world. And there was some moment that happened at the Tower of Babel where they said, let's not be scattered. Let's not go where God is telling us. Let's spread his glory and his kingdom to the world. Let's just stay right here. And they built a tower in that moment. And they built a tower saying, let's make a name for us. Let's make something great for us. Let's stay right here lest we be scattered. And you see them make the decision to rebel against God's command. We're going to stay right here. We're going to stake our claim. And we will make our name great in this place. And then God blew it up. And everyone began spreading out with new languages and new dialects all across the face of the earth. And what you see here in Acts 2 is his little starting point to show, yes, now that the world, the people have spread across the world, now I'm going to get my gospel across the world. And I'm going to make all these people that are very, very different become very, very unified in one message about one savior who will save anyone and everyone because that's the kind of God I am. And there's no people that are, not, that are too far from the reach of the work of God. So it doesn't matter where you're from, but if you are a person, God says, I love you and I want you to know me. Tony Evans says this, people from different backgrounds may not have a natural affinity, But when the word of God is treated rightly and the Holy Spirit is allowed to engage, it can bring together things, people, backgrounds, history, races, colors, and cultures and hold them together in a way that affinity may never be able to do. You know how you tell that the Spirit's really working in a group of people? It unites us like nothing else. It breaks down all the barriers 
all the racial, all the cultural, all those things that divide us, it breaks those down under Christ. The first amazing work. How do you know the Spirit is working in the lives of people is that you see a unity like nowhere else. You see the Spirit uniting people from these different backgrounds and different places. And it says something unique about the work of the Spirit in this moment. It, it describes the Spirit as like a wind, right? And, and if, you've, if you've studied your Bible, you'll, you'll see this type of, of nuance all throughout the Bible. This wind, or, or it's also translated breath. In Genesis chapter two, when God uh, forms man he, out of the dust of the ground, he says he breathed into him the breath of life. It was almost like a, like a close kiss. In Genesis 3, you see it's broken, but, but you see all throughout the Bible this desire for the wind to return, the breath of God, the wind of God to come. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesies about the wind, uh, the breath fixing these dry bones in this valley of dry bones. And so it, it's predicting this, this desire, this, this place when God's gonna return and all these things that are dead and have no life begun springing to life through the, through the, the breath and when Jesus rose from the dead, it says some, something neat as he's talking to the disciples. He says he breathed on them. And so th- there's one level that the, that the Spirit is, is powerful, but is also intimate, like a breath. If I was to go up to you and I was to breathe on the back of your neck, you would go, ah, oh, too close, too close, too close. Because there's something too intimate and close when you have someone's breath, but God is an intimate God and he's coming to them and saying, come on, be alive. Receive the spirit and come alive. I think an important question is this, is this moment prescriptive or descriptive? Is this moment prescriptive, meaning it must happen this way, or is it descriptive to say, this is what happened? And I think it's really important. As you read texts in scripture, you've got to ask that question. Does this prescribe what must happen or does it describe what happened? And I think what's, what's helpful, there are parts of the Bible that are prescriptive. Like Jesus died once for all. You must have faith in Jesus. That's prescriptive. Um, a person must believe in Jesus to be forgiven. Romans 10, 9. Like that's prescriptive. It must happen that way. In moments like other moments in the Bible where Jesus walks on water, that's descriptive. You mustn't walk on water in order to be saved or prove that you're following Jesus. Um, The disciples help Jesus feed 5,000 people in a moment. That's descriptive. That's what happened. It doesn't mean you have to be able to, you know, make fish and loaves multiply to 5,000 people in order to be a believer and follow Jesus. It's, It's descriptive. Um, This moment when the church comes and falls in this way, this is unique remove of the Spirit. And most New Testament scholars say this is descriptive. It mustn't happen just like this. So if your experience doesn't model this way of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, that's fine. It's descriptive. This is a unique coming of the Spirit of God for a unique time for him to come. And it's supposed to unite us together. So the Spirit comes in this, in this moment and there's all these questions. What does this mean? And then Peter stands up in verse 14. He says, I want to tell you something about what this means. The coming of the Spirit is part of God's great plan. And we're just in the midst of what God has been doing. Verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11 
lifted up his voice and addressed them. He says, men of Judea who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. The accusation was they're filled with new wine. He says, you're not drunk. And here's his rationale, as you suppose. Um, It's too early, right? Um, It's too early for them to be drunk, as you suppose. But this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour forth my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heavens and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, for the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, look, this is what was prophesied. God declared a day when the Holy Spirit would come upon us in a unique way, and this is a sign, this is a symbol that, that God's Spirit has come upon us. This is all part of what God has been telling us. This is part of God's bigger plan. When the Spirit comes out, it has an amazing impact on us, and this is all part of it. People will speak from God, they'll hear from God. It will be a powerful move of God. And look at what he points to. He doesn't point to the, um, he points to the miraculous, but he doesn't stay there. See, sometimes when it comes to the miraculous work of God, we can begin chasing the miraculous moments of God. And that can become the focus of, of what our faith is like. But that's actually not what Peter points to. He says, this is all part of what God promised. And God does amazing things, amazing works. But how do you know that is really from the work of God and not something else. Look what Peter says in verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Every miraculous work of God is meant to point to the person of Christ. Every miraculous work of God So if God ever heals someone, if God moves powerfully in your life, what should happen is every time God moves miraculously, it points to the person of Christ. The Holy Spirit came for this purpose to testify about Jesus and point people to Jesus. And so here's where lots of churches can become divided. We start chasing the things and not chasing the Jesus that that the Spirit is meant to testify for. And so all of the things are meant to point us to the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, and you crucified him according to the predetermined foreknowledge of God. Hey, God knew this would happen. This was all part of his plan, but you crucified him. And when it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted deeply when they heard this truth. And here's, what, here's the truth. When God testifies, when God does something in your life, there should be a response. And what he says to these people, you are responsible for the death of Jesus. You, you were in Jerusalem when this happened. You knew when this was, you, many of you that were here probably declared, crucify him, crucify him. You oversaw the death of Jesus. And at that moment, they were convicted of their sin. And, and it's not just them, it's us too. 
You see, we caused the death of Jesus because we don't live how we should live. We're not merely victims of sin, we're perpetrators of sin. We don't, we don't all do the right thing. We don't always say the right thing. We don't always think the right thing. We're not merely victims of sin ourselves, although we are. We're also perpetrators. We cause the death of Jesus. But he paid it all. And at that moment, they're cut to the quick. And some of you may be cut to the quick because you know you're not right before God. They knew they weren't right before God. And Peter said to them, repent, verse 38, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you repent, repent just means this, to turn, to turn, I'm no longer gonna live this way. I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna go to Jesus. I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. And when you believe, here's the promise. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that empowered the saints of old, that was promised to us, comes and indwells in the believer. So the Holy Spirit lives and indwells in you. And how do you get the spirit? You believe in the Son. And when you believe in the Son, God comes and lives in you. It's for you. He is for you. And what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you? Well, lots of things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit lives within you, it does produce a result. The Spirit also gives spiritual gifts. You see those all throughout the New Testament. It empowers you to be gifted to serve God and serve one another. When any believer comes, they're indwelt with the Spirit and empowered with the Spirit. The Spirit also convicts the world of sin and righteousness, as Jesus said, and leads us to walk a new life. The Spirit empowers you to follow Jesus with your whole life and whole heart and this is so significant this moment and how do you know how do you know that the spirit is really working in you what should unite us it's promised to us so it, it it's, it's a promise that we come to jesus christ it points to jesus christ it's a promise to us and thirdly how do you know the spirit is working in you it opens you up How do you know that the Spirit of God is alive in your heart? It begins opening your hands for the things that you own. That's the result. Here's what it says in verse 42. And they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit is working within us is that if those people begin devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They begin having a love for the word of God and they begin meeting together for the purpose of breaking bread and they were seeing miracles in their midst as they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So here's what happens when the Spirit of God is working. It means 
you want to be around other Christians. If you hate Christians, I'm sorry, we've done a lot of things that are wrong. Fair. But the, when the Spirit works, there should be a longing in your heart to say, hey, I need to meet with some people. I need to gather together with some people. I need to be encouraged by some people. And I need, I need the word of God in my midst. So when the Spirit's working, it means that I move towards the people of God. So my question for you, first of all, is this. Do, do you move towards the people of God? Hey, and I know that Christians have done bad things in the past. I know that we have hurt people. I get it. I get it. We've all been victims of that. But God is still working in the midst. So my question is, are you moving towards the people of God? Are you in a community group? Are you in our men's ministry, our women's ministry? Are you moving towards the people of God? And it says they're hanging together in one another's houses. They're breaking the bread together. This description of like they're sharing meals together. What a wonderful thing. So what does the spirit of God look like when he moves? It means you get together and you eat. I mean, praise God. Like what? That, that's beautiful. So they're gathered together, they're sharing meals together, they're living life together, and the God is doing amazing works in their midst. Miracles and awe is coming upon every soul. There's an awe that's there. And when all, verse 44, and all who had believed had come together, they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. You see the second piece that they have? There's a generosity. When spirits are working in the community of believers, there's an open-handedness with their things. It, it, it's like I'm holding what's mine, but then there's a release of that. I'm, I, I'm generous with what I have, with my possessions, with my money, with my time. Am I, am I open-handed with my life? That's when you know the Spirit of God is really working within you. And this is what happened in my life. I, I remember uh, when I was in college, I just started work, walking with the Lord, and I was pretty tight-fisted with all of my money, which wasn't much. It was like 10 bucks, right? And, but I remember with my roommates, um, we would be there, and, uh, and I would buy my cereal, and I would have my things that was like, you do not touch these because they're mine, right? And I just kind of had that. And I remember one summer in particular, I was spending with, my, with some, my cousins in Colorado, and I was just beginning to walk with the Lord. And I had brought all of my cereal to my cousin's house, and I just had my stash in the pantry. That's my cereal. Don't touch it, right? And I remember one morning, um, I come down, and my uncle and my aunt are there with my cereal, like pouring it out and like eating it up. And, I'm, and I walk over to them. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You've opened your home to me. You feed me every night. But that is my cereal that you just ate. And I remember it's like just feeling so weird. Like, why am I so close-fisted on this? I remember God just pressing on me. Hey, do you love me? And I'm like, yes. Just not that much. Like, that's my cereal. And I remember when I went home that summer, uh, a similar thing happened with my roommates at home. All of a sudden, they're eating my cereal. And I'm like, and I just groaned so much, in such a little way, I groaned so much to go, that's great. I can go buy more. It's two bucks. I'll be fine. How are you with your possessions? Are you closed-fisted with those things that are yours? God in his grace begins prying open your hands. The Roman Emperor Julian wrote in the fourth century regarding Christians. He says this of them. Atheism, that's what he referred to as Christianity, has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers 
and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help we should render them. Isn't that fascinating? The Roman world saying, I hate these Christians. They're atheists. Why did they call them atheists? Because they believed in one God. They didn't believe in the pantheon of gods. They believed in the Trinity, not all these other gods. And he says, what is going on? And he says, how, how do I mark them? I see how well they're loving all of our people, regardless of background. They're just giving in need. Has God opened up your hands? And lastly, And day by day, attending the temple together, they broke bread, they received their food with generous hearts, and praising God and having favor with all people. And God was adding day by day those who were being saved. That's how you know the spirit of God is moving. An open community, a loving community that's reaching out and serving one another. And when you have a community like that, it is incredibly attractive. I remember the first time I went to a, uh, a, a, like a, a retreat by myself, and I didn't know anyone there. And I show up by myself to this Christian retreat, and, and, and I'm in college, and I show up, and, I, and I'm walking in there, and I don't know anyone, and I do the check-in thing, and they're like, hey, who would you like to be roommates with, like in the cabin or whatever? And I'm like, I'm, I'm flying solo, you know, and I just I kind of put my name down. And I stand there, and there's one guy that comes over to me. His name is Matt Offenbacher. And he says, hey, Kevin, I, I, we have a mutual friend, this person. He starts kind of building a relationship with me. He goes, hey, why don't you be in my community group, my, my little small group doing this thing? I'm like, okay. And I kind of go along, and, and, and he just befriended me. Like the loner, he befriended me. And we're going along through the whole little weekend, and, like that, and we get to like the last night. It's like that typical kind of camp thing, Right? But what's so beautiful is that he had invited and invested in me, and not just in me, he introduced me to all of his friends. And so all of a sudden, over the course of a weekend, I didn't know just one guy, all of a sudden became friends with all of these other people. And there's that last night, that last worship moment, and I remember singing that song, and then Matt just comes over and puts his arm around me and just raises his hand and starts singing. And I had never felt so loved and appreciated in that simple moment when he just came over and said, hey, you're part of my family now. See, that's the beautiful picture of the family of believers. When we reach and encourage and love one another, that's when you know it's really working. Napoleon Bonaparte says this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest our creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Jesus asked the question to his disciples. He says this, the world will know you by the way you love one another. How do you know the spirit of God is really working in the community? It unites us like no other. It's the promise that's come to us. 
And it's the power that opens our hands of love to one another. We have an opportunity at the end of our service, like every time, to respond in prayer. And I'm not sure exactly what peace God has been working with you on, but there's some of you that have actually never come to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You've gone to church, you've done the thing, but you've never actually believed in Jesus. Well, today's the day to repent, to come and believe in Jesus. He died in your place for your sins. He loves you as you are, but by his grace, he's not gonna leave you as you are. He's gonna change you from the inside out by the power of his spirit. So some of you, as our prayer team comes up, is to pray, Lord, I've never really believed in you. Now's the time. Others of you, there's, there's some hardness of your heart that is there. And maybe it's against our fellow Christians. Let me just apologize on behalf of all the Christians in the face of the world. We've done wrong and we're sorry and that's why we all need a savior and his name's Jesus. But there may be a hardness in your heart. Someone that you need to forgive or, or a resistance that you have. And so our prayer team is here to pray alongside you for that burden, that person, that, that unmet hurt or wound that is alive in you and there. So we want to pray alongside you for forgiveness and healing in that area. For others of you, maybe for physical healing. We actually believe in a God of miracles. We believe in a God who heals still today. And so for those of you um, here that maybe have a particular illness or struggle and you've been wanting prayer for it, that's why our team is here, to pray for God's spirit, his healing to work on you. And it's not us, it's God that can heal. So if that's you, come and pray. Others of you, any other reasons that you would want prayer with, we encourage you, come, pray, seek the Lord together. And for those of you who aren't gonna walk up and pray, that's fine, it's great. One of the ways that the Spirit really is working within us is that we really love one another. So my challenge to you when this service ends is to walk up to someone that you don't know Take the initiative and get to know them. Give them a high five, a handshake, a hug if it's appropriate and genuinely say thank you that you're here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the work of your spirit who convicts us of our sin but by your grace doesn't leave us um, feeling bad about ourselves. You send your spirit to make us alive, to forgive us completely and empower us to walk a new life. And so Lord, I pray for each person here that may have not put their faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray that today would be the day For those of us that are holding a burden, I pray that we would begin the process of releasing it to you, that unforgiveness or whatever is in our heart. And Lord, I pray that if anyone feels alone or um, not part of the body, not part of the home, the family it is here, Lord, I pray that today would change that. They would see that you in your presence is, is fullness of joy and your people who love you will love them really, really well. And so Lord, I pray that we would all reach out well to our friends here in this room. We encourage one another and lift one another up in your name.
And as we come forward for prayer, Lord, I pray that we release our burdens to you and you care for us. We can trust you with them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.